get up. Get up, Kenny. That's what they yelled at me. I couldn't get up. Not by myself and not with their help. Just a moment before, I had been in the midst of a layup when my opponent planted his knee in my knee. The top of my leg continued to go, but the bottom part didn't. And I tore my ACL. I heard it snap like that and landed on my back. As I laid there, I remember thinking this. My season is over. And I didn't know how true that was. The reality is that season was over, but that season of my life was also over. That season was filled with basketball, time in the gym, going to the gym early, staying late, practicing, practicing, practicing until we had our plays down and we couldn't get it wrong, practicing more, practicing till exhaustion, and practicing more. Loved basketball. Today, I would say it this way, basketball was my God, and I didn't even know it. My season had ended. And God used that time in my life that I was able to look back at years later and go, thank you for that. Thank you for ending that season, for providing for me and giving me life. I would have never gotten that if that season would have continued. And maybe you've been in a similar spot. At the end of that night, at the end of the game, it was right towards the end when this happened, uh, several people came over and they picked me up and they carried me off because I couldn't do it myself. Spiritually speaking, though, that's exactly what happened to me in the next season where I realized I couldn't pick myself up. I couldn't get up on my own. And no matter what I wanted to reach out to, whether it was basketball or money or what, where I was going to church or who I was with or the friends that I had, whatever it was, it just couldn't pick me up until I reached out to Jesus, until I realized that he is the one who can pick me up because he died on the cross for my sins, because he conquered sin and death, because he rose from the grave, because he extends life to anyone who would call on him, he is the only one who is uniquely purposed to be able to pick us up. And in that next season, that's exactly what happened to me spiritually. Seasons come and they go. And I want to invite you to this season. I want to invite you to this season to receive what God might be doing. How he may be at work in you and through you. How he may be trying to weave his message into your life and into those around you. And how he may even want to use you. Would you be willing to receive that today? That's a not a rhetorical question. I'm really asking you. Would you be willing to receive that today? One more time, I appreciate the three of you who are with me on this. <laughs> Would you be willing to receive this today, this season of what God might have? If that's the case, let's pray, and then we're going to jump in the word together. Lord, we love you, and we praise you, we thank you, and we ask, Almighty God, that you would be exalted and lifted up, that you would move in this season in our lives. And Lord, as we consider this season of our life, Lord, I, I pray that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to understand. And Lord, that you would speak to us today. We don't need to hear from Kenny. We need to hear from you. So Lord, I, I pray that you would just hide me behind the cross of Calvary even now that you would speak to us individually where we're at and corporately where we're at in this season for your glory. 
And it's in Jesus Christ's precious and holy, holy, holy name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This word came to Moses from God himself, given to the children of Israel to repeat twice a day, and has been done for centuries. Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Listen, people of God, there is one God. Why? Why is that word spoken? Well, for many reasons, one of which is a reminder that there is one God who is above all things. He reigns supreme. No one comes close. There are no other gods but him. There is one God. And this one God weaves throughout all of his creation. He is one God. You don't have to go to a God of the harvest and a God of travel and a God of the sun and a God of the afterlife. There is one God, and his name is Yahweh. This one God is to be worshipped above all things. In fact, he is the one that we give glory to. This one God is an important message. It's important for many reasons. Another one of those reasons is this. In the land that the children of Israel will be traveling, they'll be going to a land of Cana. In the land of Cana, there are many gods. Pastor Matt shared with you a little bit of the history last week. Um, this week, I just kind of want to uh, build on that. And what would happen is those gods were geographical. In other words, the God of Israel was different than the God of Cana. In Cana, you would worship Baal and Asherah. And you would sacrifice to Baal and Asherah. And a part of what Baal would do would be to send rain. And in the, in the reign of Ahab and Jezebel, there was a lot of rain early on. And there was a lot of worship of Baal. In fact, they were saying that, you know, this Baal has come into this area. And look, he has given us good things. Keep worshiping Yahweh if you want to. But look at how Baal has answered our prayers. Very pragmatic. And very obvious to them. But, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. He is above Baal. And he is above those geographical uh, deities. He is one above all. And he works in those places. He is the one to be worshipped. And that's where, we pick up, uh, that's where we pick up in this narrative in 1 Kings chapter 17. If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to go there. Underline, highlight, write notes off to the side. Never mark anything out. That is really bad. Never, never, never do that. But you can highlight and underline. And that's a really good thing. So what has happened is Elijah has been introduced in a land where they're starting to worship Baal and Asherah. In this land, uh, Elijah goes to Ahab and starts his public ministry by identifying Ahab's sins and saying, these are the consequences, and those consequences aren't just to you, but to all of the land of Israel for leaving this one God. That doesn't turn out real well. We're going to find out later on in chapter 18 that Ahab has dedicated that moment and every moment in the future to finding Elijah and killing Elijah for what has happened. For three and a half years, he's at a brook being fed by ravens. 
The reason that that matters is that ravens were unclean animals. Those unclean animals for Elijah, a prophet of God who wants to obey God, follow God, that would have been a very difficult hurdle to get over. (sighs) Wait a minute, God, are you telling me that I'm going to get food, meat, from ravens? These unclean animals, they're going to bring that to me and I'm supposed to eat it. Yep, that's what I'm saying. Because this God is so awesome that he can take the unclean and make clean. He can make this unclean animal sanctified, set apart for his work to provide and extend life. God can do that. And we see it over and over, not just with ravens, but also with people. And I might be one of those people and you may be too. And we see it all the time. So this is where we pick it up. God has said, you go down to the brook. I'm going to feed you with ravens. You're going to drink out of this brook. Everything's great. Beautiful season. He's safe. He's away from Ahab. They have no idea where he is. And then what? Well, that's where we're going to pick it up in 1 Kings chapter 17. And what I'd like to do is I'd like to walk through this passage. And we're going to see kind of a flow in this passage. And I want you to identify God's work through this passage. The name of this series is Elijah, Ordinary Person, extraordinary God. And then we see this extraordinary God at work. And so we're going to watch how God works in the life of Elijah and through a Phoenician woman and her son. And I think you're going to be able to see how that applies to you as well as we walk through this. At the end of this passage, we're going to pick it up and we're going to look at it from a couple of different angles, kind of get a a fuller context of it. And then we're going to jump into it and identify some power words that really come out of this scripture and meet us where we're at. That's the plan. Let's jump right in. And after a while, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. Pause. (laughs) You ever been in that place? God tells you to do something or you are confident, you are following God, right? Like this is what God's word says, I'm going to follow God, I'm going to do this thing and as I'm doing this thing, it dries up. Like the life that I have gotten from this is no longer there. Elijah had some examples of things like this that happened in the past. For example, Moses is leading the children of Israel out of Egypt and into the promised land and they're thirsty and there's no water and he hits this rock and water comes gushing out. And I've wondered, and this is just my projection into this passage, I wonder if Elijah thought, you know, in the past, God did that. Maybe I should find a stick and beat this rock and water will come out. I don't know, maybe he thought that. Or maybe he thought, you know what, God? I'm just, I'm, I'm just going to drink from this brook until it dries up. Oh, it's dried up. I'm just going to wait here. And if I have to die waiting here, I'm going to do that because this is what you've called me to do. And this is the season that you've called me to do. So how do you discern that? How do you discern it's time to move on from this thing that God's called you to do to the next thing? And the answer is simple. God will tell you. And he does it through a variety of ways. He does it through his word primarily. He does it in situations, and he does it through the wisdom of godly people around you. So there are many ways that God speaks to us. He often gives us the peace of God to move forward. That's another way that he moves. But watch how, despite what Elijah knows is true of the past, watch how careful Elijah is. Verse 8, then the word of the Lord came to him. Arise, go to Zarephath. Zarephath is not in Israel. It's just outside of Israel uh, in, in the Phoenician land 
Uh, Obadiah calls it the Canaanite land, okay, which belongs to Sidon and dwell there. Funny thing about that is that's the area that Jezebel's dad was born. So that's like where her family is from. He's hiding from them. We don't learn this for another chapter, but he's hiding or God is moving him around away from Ahab and he hides him right under Ahab's nose. I think that's hilarious. That's just how my mind works. You're welcome. All right. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. Interestingly, that's the same word that's used about the ravens. He commanded a raven, the ravens to feed him. He's commanded a widow to feed him. Just like, and, and hang in there with me on this, because what I'm about to tell you may be tough to hear culturally. So hang in there, culturally speaking. So uh, first of all, there were these unclean ravens. That's a tough one. How is a prophet of God going to get fed by unclean animals? Ugh. Three and a half years, it happens, and God meets him in some pretty great ways, refreshes him, encourages him, even strengthens him, we'll find out later. And then he's supposed to go now from Israel into uh, Zarephath, this Phoenician land, another country, and be taken care of by a widow woman. Culturally speaking, this doesn't happen. In this respect, Elijah knows uh, as, as a male in that culture, it's his responsibility to care for himself and to care for his family. For him to come under someone else would have been difficult. To come under a widow woman would have been even more difficult. Presumably, she should have been being cared for by her own family. She's not being cared for. So this is, this is low on the rung uh, for him culturally. Not just that, but this woman is not uh, a Hebrew. She's not Jewish. She's probably a worshiper of Baal, as we're going to find out in a few moments. So he has humbled himself pretty low to be in this position, but that's exactly what God calls him as he transitions from this season by the brook to this season in Phoenicia. Keep reading. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. Now that sounds pretty forward to us. But that wouldn't have been the case in the Middle East during that time. That was common hospitality. In fact, if anything, Elijah is asking for less than what was commonly due in terms of hospitality to a foreigner in that culture. So he's actually undershooting it uh, with his request. Verse 12, and she said, as the Lord your God lives, that's, that's an identifier. He's a prophet of Yahweh. He would have looked different than the culture in Phoenicia, in Zarephath specifically. He would have dynamically looked different. He would have been able to be identified by his appearance that he was not Phoenician. She says, your God, not her God, not my God, your God. She is probably a worshiper of Baal or Asherah or both. Okay, so she's Phoenician. She says lives... Your God lives, and uh, any follower of Yahweh would not say that of another God, but uh, other religions would say that about other religions because they saw things territorially. So my God lives here. Your God lives there. He lives. 
So it wouldn't have been uncommon. As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Now, that sounds a little bit like Eeyore, doesn't it? Like, I guess I'm just going to go get some sticks and fix my food and die. You know, like, that's not what's happening here. She is, this famine has reached into her world. And that famine of Israel has affected her in her world. And she is completely spent. This widow woman has nothing left. Apparently, they're pretty sick. We're going to find that out here in just a little bit. But they're in a place of sickness. Like, they are going to die. There is no other option. And that's where she is. Continuing on. Verse 13. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as I have said. But first... Make me a little cake of it and bring it to me and afterward make something for yourself and your son. Oh yeah, easy for you to say, Elijah. We're about to die. But then he says this. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. Did you catch that? The God of Israel. Why does that matter? Let me make a suggestion here. He has moved outside of Israel and is in Phoenicia. And he is saying, the Lord our God is one. He's not bound by geographical boundaries. He's not bound by political boundaries. He's not bound. He is one. He is over Baal and Asherah. He is one. And this is what he says. The jar of flour shall not be spent, and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did, as Elijah said. You know, it's almost like, What do I have to lose? I'm going to die anyways. I'll just try it. And she and he and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. After this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill. And his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. So they just kind of got over this hump. There's no food. Wait a minute, God's going to take care of that. Oh, okay, cool. Now what happens? The son has become really ill, and there's no breath. That's a fancy way of saying he died. Well, that's, what do you say about that? Again, consider this culturally. Uh, Elijah, who is a prophet of Yahweh, has gone into a foreign land. There seems to be provision. God seems to be blessing Elijah. But now this woman who is taking care of Elijah, her son dies. Your God doesn't seem to be taking care of me so much. So what does this mean? She's going to get to it. And she said to Elijah, what have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. So she's saying this. This God of Israel took care of Israel and watched Israel, and now this prophet of Israel has left Israel and has come to my land. It has caused your God to look to see where you're at. And as he looked to see where you're at, he saw my sin, and I'm being punished. My son has died. Thanks a lot for coming here, Elijah. That doesn't seem right. And this is the response. Give me your son. 
And he took him from her arms and carried him up into the upper chamber where he lodged and laid him on his own bed. And he cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourn by killing her son? Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, let this child's life come into him again. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord, that it's, it's proper, it's capital here, that means they're using the covenant name of God, Yahweh. So, and that the Lord, and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. So there is this transformation for her as well. How God has provided for her and how God has not just provided but extended life. We see it in a very physical way. And this whole chapter is filled with this ebb and flow of God working in unclean things that he separates, sanctifies, and uses for his purpose to extend life. At the brook with Elijah, in the home for Elijah from this woman, and then in the home for the son using Elijah. God is indeed extraordinary. In 1965, the uh, band of the birds came out with a song called Turn, Turn, Turn. Anybody know that song? Turn, Turn, Turn. Uh, I was flabbergasted when I found out years later that it's actually from the Bible. For everything, there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. There is a season, and we have to receive things in season. You ever heard someone talk about the past as if, oh, they just wish that the good old days then. Oh, in the good old days we used to. In the good old days then. And that's fine. It's good to remember, but it's bad to stay there. Seasons end. Even Hawaii has seasons, I'm told. I think it's like rainy season and not as rainy season, but... Seasons are everywhere, and we all experience them. You and I experience seasons. And we have to be willing to receive that there are seasons that God has us in, that God is going to provide, extend life. The season ends. Be careful because you could taste of the drought. Follow God's word. Move on to the next season and watch and see what he'll do. He doesn't spell it all out. Some of you are planners. I like to be a planner. I love, you know, plan A, plan B, plan, like I'll plan like triple A, you know, like I want to make sure that if this falls, then this and this, that's, that's my personality and I have to be really careful of it because it turns out God does his own thing. He doesn't need to consult me and his plans are better than my plans and he's better than your plans. And so as we enter into these seasons, we have to be wise and make sure that we're following what God is calling us to do. What we see with Elijah is this movement, how unclean things become sanctified, set apart, and used by God. You know, we also kind of insinuated that with this woman, how for Elijah, she would have been considered somewhat unclean, certainly below him culturally, 
but she supplied for his needs. He was provided for, and God commanded her to do that and used her. But God also commanded Elijah to do that for her. And culturally speaking, she would have looked at him as below her too. Like, <laughs> you're a foreign man. You're out of context. You have no authority in this place. You are subject to us and our rules and our laws. You are below us, and God uses him as an unclean person in her life, sanctifies him for this extension of life. And maybe God wants to do that in you and through you and around you as well. I want to grab a hold of a few terms. I like to think of them as power terms. They're, they're terms that, that God has used that really influence and direct us, and we kind of we pull them out of this passage. And the first one is faith. I'm going to read these passages and briefly talk about them and give a, a few illustrations to, to identify what I mean. So for Elijah, he has to start with being in front of the king. That takes some guts. But that's like the pinnacle. He's at the top. God, what do you want me to do? I want you to talk to Ahab. You're talking about the king? Yep, the king. What do you want me to say again? Yeah, I want you to tell him he's a sinner and he needs to repent. Oh, okay. <laughs> and he takes this step of faith and he does it. And now the king is mad at Elijah and he says, God, what do you want me to do? And the word of the Lord comes to him. He says, yeah, I want you to go to this brook and these ravens are going to come and they're going to feed you. Okay. Ravens, unclean things? Yeah. Okay. So he does that. It's a step of faith. So let's talk about what is faith. It's identified in Hebrews 11.1. 1. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith is, is lived out. So in our from our understanding culturally, we think of faith as kind of an abstract thing. I'll talk about it more in a moment. But it, it really is concrete in Scripture. It's action-oriented. Faith is not just informational, I understand or I think, but rather it's an action, it's lived out. Like, how do I know that I have faith in God? Because it's lived out day by day. You're faithful or faithfulness is seen in someone's life. Galatians 5, 23 says it this way, but the fruit of the Spirit, so for those who have received Jesus as their Savior, the Spirit of God indwells them. The fruit of that is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things. There is no law. Faithfulness is a part of that. Many people, and I'll just tell you, I, like, I writhe in pain when I hear this, and people will... Um, compare and contrast faith with science as if that's the compare and contrast. That's not true. Uh, that, that is not true. Absolutely not true. In fact, faith is built on something. I'm going to push pause on that thought and, and walk down another road with you. One of the favorite things I love to do is before services, I like to walk around and just greet people. I love it when people come in early. I have an excitement for, for worship, what God's going to teach me, and an and, and offering that I get to give to God. I, I love worship services. I also drink a lot of caffeine in the morning, so that could be a part of it. But uh, I love to just walk around and visit people. I've been doing it for years and years and years. And one of the things I have noticed through the years, this has never, ever happened, ever, ever, ever. And that is no one has ever came into a worship center like this, looked at the chair, and tested it. Like, I don't know if I can sit in this chair. I don't know if it's going to hold me. I'm not, mm, 
I'll just wait around and see if someone else will sit there. No one has ever done that. Why? Yeah, it is faith. You've seen chairs before. You know how chairs work. You've probably sat in that chair before. You recognize that other people sit in chairs. You also have a certain amount of trust that the people who set this up aren't, aren't looking for your demise and putting a bad chair in your spot. Like, you get that. It's, is, that is that this absence of fact? No, there is fact there. The fact is I know that I can trust that chair. So what are the facts? New Zealand was founded by Polynesians. Polynesians were, there was no one on the island, so they had no one telling them, hey, uh, New Zealand's right over there. But what happened is they were out on canoes and they were sailing and they saw this long white cloud and this long white cloud didn't move for a very, very long time. It just stayed there. And they recognized there must be land there. And then they took their step of faith. There is land there. We know we've seen that kind of thing before. We understand that that's what happens over a, a, uh, a, over a land mass. And so there must be land there. We're going to go there. We don't know how much fruit is there. We don't know if there are animals there. We don't know what kinds of things are there. But we know that there's land there. And so we want to go there and settle. Well, let's see what's there. That was their step of faith. But it was based on facts. And so it is with us. I, there was this time of testing the Lord. Like, God, how do I know that you're God? Like, you have some incredible claims. Things like the resurrection. I've never seen one before. I've never been around that. You're saying that there was a man who came in the flesh, he was God, and he died on a cross, and he rose from the grave. How can I trust that? That sounds incredible. But when we start looking at the historical evidence, it becomes very clear that there are eyewitness accounts, people who were there who saw it, people who could have been challenged and they weren't, people who experienced and were transformed because of that experience and who communicated in real time when it could have been disproved very easy if it didn't happen, and so on and so on. And so there are some facts that I know <laughs> I can trust. I can sit on that chair because I know I can trust that chair. And then it's just grown from there. I've experienced God in this place, so I know I can experience God in that place. For Elijah, who starts at the brook and then goes into Zarephath, which, by the way, means refinement. And so he goes through this time of refinement, and he sees that my God is not just the God of Israel, but he is one. He is God everywhere and anywhere, and nothing is greater than him. And I can trust him, not just in Israel, but I can trust him over here. And we're going to see this movement go to Mount Carmel, where there is an ultimate trust. But what about you? Have you extended that sort of faith in your life? Are you seeing faithfulness lived out like that? God, I know I can trust you, so I'm going to trust you. And you are one God, not just God on Sundays, but on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. You're God overall. And you're not just God in this geographical place called the church, this church building, but you're also God in my home and in my county and in my community and at my work and at my school. Lord, you're God everywhere, and I can trust you in those places because I've seen you at work. I can sit in that place, that's faith. Do you have it? Have you experienced it? Faith comes with a little bit of humility. I'm going to read a few verses so we're make sure we're all on the same page. This is what, these are the verses. Psalm 138, 6. 
For though the Lord is high, he's highly exalted, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. I love this word picture, and um, here it is, that in the ancient world, all of the temples were up as high as they could build. So the, the symbolism was they're high and lofty. They're way up there. You can't get to them very easily. But when the tabernacle was constructed, it was constructed in a valley with four hills, meaning that you could sit up on top and look down in it. The symbolism is God came down to us. He's accessible. We are with him. We are there. I love this. God uh, regards the lowly. Proverbs 29, 23. One's pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. Matthew 23, 12. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And so there is Elijah. Okay, God, I'm willing to follow you. Great. Will you go talk to the king of Israel? Mm. <laughs> uh, yeah, and he does. Great. Will you be fed by ravens? Oh, ravens? Yeah, I will. Okay, and he does. Okay, I want you to go from there to Zarephath. Phoenicia? Yeah. And he walks in faith, and he does. He humbles himself to the situation, and God honors him in that place. Humility is a big part of it, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Let's make sure that we're not standing and fighting in our season of life like, God, I know you told me to go to Zarephath, but I'm sticking right here by this brook, and those birds better come back and feed me. We better be careful because God opposes that. God calls us out of that season to the next season. Let's follow him in that season. Humility isn't the only piece of it. We also see God's word, a command. And in this place, it's important that, that, that we not miss this. Because like I said, there are many ways that Elijah could have gone at the brook. Do I hit this rock with a stick like Moses did? Work for him. And do I just wait because God told me to do that? Even though, God, I think he's telling me to do something else. So should I just wait and make sure that he's telling me to go somewhere else? There are a lot of things he could have done. But he identifies God's word and he recognizes some commands. I've commanded the ravens to take care of you. I've commanded the widow to take care of you. And consequently, he's commanded him to go. And ultimately, he takes care of the widow and the son and extends life. I would... I wonder, I wonder how this will play out in heaven. I think it would be really cool if we got to hear like after the story. You know, I'd love to know what happened to this boy in uh, 1 Kings chapter 17 after he gets life. You know, like what was the rest of his story? You guys, this prophet from Israel came up here and he, uh, he wanted our food and we gave it to him and his God kept supplying more food and then I got sick and I died. And they're like, what? You did what? Yeah, I died. And God, his God brought me back to life. And, it, you know, like what's the rest of the story? How did that play out day by day? I don't know. I don't even know why I told you that, but I did. Um, Acts chapter 17, verse 26. Here is one of the reasons that I love uh, God's command and I feel confident following God in his commands. He says this, uh, and this is, by the way, is Paul. He's speaking to the Athenians in Greece, uh, in Athens at Mars Hill. 
And he says this, And he, God, made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, yet he is actually not far from each one of us. Why? Because God is one. He is above all. So what are we saying here? We are saying what Paul was identifying is that God has purposely put people where they are so that they will know him and respond in faith to him. That is not just uh, why he put them there, but it's also why he put us here to experience God, but also to help others to know God and experience God. Like that is a part of his will. It's a part of his command in our lives. And I just think, you know, with 12 people, they turned the world upside down, the scripture says, because they followed God. And what happens when 400 people, when 1,000 people in Scott County come together and say, yeah, let's do this. Let's make this happen. Let's let God use us in such a way that, that uh, darkness is going to flee and light is going to shine. What happens when we say, hey, we want, God, we are willing for you to use us to provide for others, to extend life. Like, Lord, let that be a part of our story even here right now. Sometimes we're stuck at the end of our season. Get up. I can't. I don't want to. It hurts. I kind of like this season. And what does God say? Well, what God told Elijah was to rise. Rise up. You can call it next level, new chapter. You can call it moving forward, whatever. It's change, and it's God's movement. Rise up. Move on. Come to where I'm at. Come with me to where I'm going. Join me. Isn't that a great word? That God is calling us to join him? Change is hard. I've heard people say it in a variety of ways, like, you know, as we mature, change gets harder. That's not true. I'm a dad of seven. This is what that means. I've had little kids in my house. These little kids, if I tweak their schedule, they flip out. Like, they hate change. Sorry, Dad, before I go to bed, you say a prayer, you read a book, you tuck me in, you kiss me on the forehead, you've deviated. I'm not sleeping. <laughs> I don't like change. I have teenagers in my house. We just moved. There's big change. I can tell you teenagers don't really like change. I don't really like change. None of us like change. We like the things we like to change, but we don't like change overall. It's hard. It's hard to move on, but maybe God is calling us to rise up. Maybe God is calling us to join him where he's at work to provide and to extend life. Would you be willing to receive that? I don't know where you are, but the point is we're joining God and his story. He's an extraordinary God. We're ordinary people. I don't take myself very seriously, but I take him extremely seriously. He's an amazing God who loves us so much that when no one else could reach down and pick us up, when we couldn't do it ourselves, when no one else could, when there was no thing to grab a hold of, there is this God who says, I love you so much, and I'm drawing you to me. Arise. Arise. For you, it may be salvation. Maybe you've never received Jesus as your Savior. Let me just tell you, this might be the end of a season that you, you thought was great. It gets better if you follow the Lord. 
What, that, what does that look like? You might say, well, how do, how do I get there? How do I get saved, Kenny? Thanks for asking. It's faith. It's not magic. It's faith. How to trust you. I'm a sinner. I need you to save me, Lord. Save me. I'm, I'm giving my life. This is my assurance of salvation. Not that the prayer saves me. It's the step of faith. But I know that I know that I know that I took this step of faith in this moment. Lord, I'm a sinner, and I need you to save me. It needs to be your words, not my words. But it's something that easy. Save a wretch like me. Jesus, I trust you. And watch and see. Here's what I know. I know he'll provide. I know he'll extend life. I also know it might not be the way you want it or the way that you think it should be written up, but God will do it. Would you be willing to receive him even today? Or you may be in another place in your walk. Maybe you've been following Jesus for years and you're like, oh, I know that he's calling me to this, to Zarephath. I don't know if I want to go. Go. God is good. Go. Watch and see what he'll do. I love um, faith experiments. And these are just so that we, we can kind of check our spirit and make sure that we're not just hearers of the word, but we're doers of the word. And there's some action associated with these things. And I want to encourage you to engage in those actions. Sometimes Pastor Matt has some questions uh, up on the board. I, I know you've engaged with those. We'd love, by the way, to hear whether you're engaging with the, the uh, faith experiments or the questions, we'd love to know what, what God has done through those. So feel free anytime to send us a message and say, hey, we tried this, this is what God did, or hey, we were talking about this and this is what God did. Love those stories. Those are, those are great. Here are a few. Discuss with one other person how the Lord may be working in your life with respect to humility. This is a good thing. We, we don't talk about it a lot. Like, God humbled me this way, or God is humbling me this way, or I've had to rethink this position or this situation, and this is what God's doing. It's really good. Remember, God exalts the humble, but he humbles the proud. Which side of that do you want to land on? This is a good uh, action step in that direction. Next one. What is your next step of faith? Is it salvation, baptism, scripture, memory, spiritual discipline, other and then when will you take that step of faith? I, I encourage you to write down on that piece of paper. You might be thinking, ooh, I need to do this. Great, write it down. And you might even put a date on there. I'm going to do it today after church or after dinner. I'm going to do it tomorrow. I'm going to call up my friend and we're going to, you know, like write that action step down. It's important. Next one, pay for someone. You might have thought, is that supposed to say pray for someone? No, pay for someone. Uh, it's a little bit of a difference, but this is putting our money where the mouth is, and it is so much fun to mess with people. <laughs> I'll just tell you, it is so much fun. It's like, why are you paying for me? I don't know, because God's good to me, and I wanted to bless you. Okay. Um, so here are some options. You might want to do it at a gas station. Hey, you see someone pull up, and you want to pay for their gas? Go ahead and pay for it. Go up front, pay for it. Easy, fun, different. Nobody has to know anything. Do it at a grocery store. That one's a little bit trickier. I would encourage you to see if they're getting just like a stick of gum or, you know, what their grocery is uh, before you pay. I'm just kidding. Don't do that. But pay for it. It's fun. Watch and see why. Hey, I like to pay for your groceries. What? You mess with people's minds. Restaurants. That's another great place to, um, hey, you just go over and pay for someone else's meal. They don't even have to know that you did it. But you can bet that God is at work in that place, and God will do something with it. These are some suggestions. Maybe the Spirit of God has uh, quickened your spirit with another idea. Do that. 
But let's not just be doers of the word, or hearers of the word, let's be doers as well. Would you join me as we pray and the worship team comes? Jesus, we love you and we thank you and praise you. We ask, Almighty God, that you would be exalted and lifted up. We thank you for the life of Elijah, but Lord, we thank you for the life of Christ because of his work. We are able to gather even here today and we recognize that you are one, that you are above all and in all and working, and we receive that even now for your good glory. And it's in Jesus Christ's precious and holy, holy, holy name we pray. And all God's people said, amen.